Matthew 8, I want you to look again. Notice this morning, verse 10 of our text, where the Bible says that when Jesus heard something, when he got news of someone, that his response to that news was amazement, astonishment. His response was to marvel. Verse 10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. He marveled and said to them that followed. Now, folks, I want you to notice that not only was our Lord moved by this Roman centurion, but also it tells, he tells the people all around him why he was moved. That is why he marveled at this man. You know, there's an interesting genre in social media influencers today. Sort of taps into human nature. Influencers on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram can get a lot of money and fame if their content is interesting enough to draw subscribers and views and so forth. One of the more popular lanes, if you will, especially on YouTube, are reaction videos. And, and you know, that's where you have, you, you get to watch somebody's reaction to their seeing something and typically for the very first time. A lot of these involve music. A bunch of Gen Zers will watch an El or one Gen Zer who's well-known or popular. He watches maybe an Elvis video, and you get his reaction, or a Sinatra video, and people watch his reaction to that. Same thing happens with sports. Some young basketball player has his own channel, and pretty much all he does is, is record his reaction to seeing Larry Bird or Dr. J, some old-school guy, for the very first time in their highlight video. And you know, in similar fashion, I myself was intrigued by sort of a reaction video many years ago the PGA did. In a little studio, they would have these players come in one at a time, at the time the top players in the world. And they would sit down in front of a camera and then simply read the career stats of Jack Nicklaus. They would just hand him the paper and they would read it and they just, as they read silently, the camera caught their facial reactions. And I admit it was, it was fascinating, it was intriguing to see these incredible players, Rory and Tiger and Adam Scott, and their eyes get big and their jaws drop and they shake their head in amazement. It's like when the stars are starstruck. Nowadays, you can get it in real time on Twitter. LeBron tweets during a game that he's amazed at the play of Nikolai Jokic and so forth. People love to see the reaction of greatness over the achievements of true, true greatness. Well, folks, what you have in our text today is the reaction, not of a musician, not of a sports fan or an athlete. This is the reaction of God himself. This is a moment in Jesus' ministry when the Bible says that the Son of God heard something and was amazed. And yes, all of them that followed got to see this reaction video and then hear our Lord explain why, why he marveled, why he was amazed. Which this morning begs the question, what is it? What is it that you think truly impresses the God of the universe? Because the thing that impressed the God of the universe on that day is exactly what impresses him on this day. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And Lord, please help us to hear it and heed it. 
Thank you that on a day like today, we can be grateful and thankful for fathers who are faithful. And there's no greater sign of faithfulness than what we see in this text today. May we see it, hear it, and embrace it with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. According to Riverside, the most popular reaction video of all time received 26 million views, and that's a lot. 26 million times people watched BTS, the group, um, their reaction of watching a video, believe it or not, of themselves. According to Guinness, some 7 billion Bibles have been printed throughout history just in the English language. And of those numbers of Bibles, this passage in the New Testament has been read, they said, a minimum of 100 million times. So that this reaction of this one that we're reading about today has been viewed seven quintillion times. That's seven followed by 15 zeros. And of course, this same account is repeated in the other Gospels, and you can add that to the others and other languages. So clearly, a staggering number of people know about the story of Cornelius and the Lord Jesus. The question is, or the centurion, I should say, do they know and do they understand the story of the centurion? Do they know why the Lord of glory was amazed by a Gentile living in the first century long ago? I mean, I don't know about you folks, but think about it for a moment. If Jesus marveled, if the Lord of glory, the creator of the universe, heard certain things about any man and then found those things, quote, marvelous, I'd like to know what those things are and were. In other words, in chapter 8, there were specific things that were said about this man, a Gentile, no less, that caused our Lord not only to Consider, but to single this man out as an example of something that he has seen. What does the Bible say? No, not in Israel. It says in the other gospel that when Jesus heard these things, quote, he marveled at him. That is, he marveled, he wondered at the man. He wondered at the centurion. One of our girls was in Bible class at Jupiter Christian School some time ago. And she said that when they were discussing this passage in Bible class, one of her classmates thought that a centurion was a centaur. You know, the Greek mythology, half horse, half man. And of course, like, I can see why Jesus would totally marvel at that. Amen. (laughs) He's not a centaur. He's a centurion. Although I must say, most people in the first century, when encountering any Roman centurion, they were impressed. Matter of fact, they were impressed just by the man's uniform, the Galea helmet and the coat of armor, the sword, the spear, and the the chest, the shield that he had there with the crest. Centurions, they just looked impressive as soon as you saw them. As a captain of a hundred, he would have been Captain Marvel. But that is not what impressed our Lord. Other people looked at centurions and were impressed by their position Centurions had a long litany of professional requirements. They had to be at least 30 years of age. They had to be greatly literate, battle-tested, proven leadership qualities, unafraid to administer justice and punishment right on the spot. Years and years and years of military promotion. Centurions made a a lot of people marvel by simply being who that they were. But none of those things impressed our Lord. None of those are why our Lord was marveling at this man. After all, the one who spoke the stars into existence would never marvel at a few stars on a man's uniform. 
You notice in verse 5 of our text, it says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came to him a centurion. Capernaum, of course, was the hometown of Peter and Andrew. It was also the fishing business district of James and John. And the significance of this place called Capernaum goes all the way back to a prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote that in that region, hundreds of years later, right there, Gentiles would see a great light. Gentiles would indeed end up in Galilee, the land of Israel. They use it as a coastal shipping depot. It was known for its manufacturing and its trading. It was teeming with non-Jews and Roman soldiers. In Nazareth, think about this, where our Lord Jesus grew up, the empire established a military garrison so that to a lot of Jews down in Jerusalem, Galilee was like Vanity Fair. Can any good thing come out of that area? It was outside the main river of Jewish spiritual life, except, except, Isaiah's prophecy came true. And for just over a year now, the Lord Jesus has been in public ministry in Galilee, preaching and teaching and working miracles, so that, not surprisingly, word of Jesus' ministry is now all over Capernaum. What was surprising, even shocking to the Jews there, was the ministry and commendation that Jesus would extend to a man so outside of Israel, a Gentile, a Roman, a soldier, an officer, and as an occupying force, it just doesn't get any worse than that to a Jew. And yet verse 10 says that Jesus marveled at him. The Greek word is talmazo, and again, it means to wonder, to be amazed, which brings us to why. What things did our Lord Jesus hear about this man that moved him to wonder at him? I want you to notice three observations in the text. And they just come to one great main thing that I want to leave you with before you leave. The first one you'll notice, number one, is what his neighbors thought about him. Look at verse 5 again. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, begging him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. By the way, you realize that that in itself is remarkable. He, he's concerned about his, his servant. Folks, servants in those days were slaves. Rarely did any Roman officer ever consider, consider a servant, quote, dear unto him. Slaves were expendable. If they get sick, you just get another one. But not for this man. This man was burdened about his servant because he cared for him. I want you to notice on the screen another passage in Luke 7, and it says this in verse 2. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent him to the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Now, wait a minute. Understand, beloved, who's telling Jesus this Roman is worthy of a miracle? The Bible identifies them as, quote, the elders of the Jews in this verse. In other words, look, these are not fellow Gentiles. These are not Arabs who happen to live in the land. These are people who normally despise the Romans. And as elders, they had a lot of influence and cling very tightly to all of their traditions from their youth. But for this one man, they speak on his behalf. 
It is not every day that a group of leading Jews would ever give testimony in a very powerful situation to an Italian. Give testimony to this Italian in their own land. I don't even know any Italians who have good testimonies. Not a single one. (laughs) You can imagine a German officer in 1942 being beloved and respected by the Jewish elders, say, in Berlin. These men rarely admired centurions, but they admired this one. And why? What was it about him that impressed the Lord Jesus? Well, look again on the screen, and this is verse 4 of chapter 7. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him, begged him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. Heal his servant. He's worthy. Why? He loveth our nation. He hath built us a synagogue. That's generous. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Now, wait a minute. The Lord Jesus here in Matthew 8 and in verse 14, you'll notice in our text, he's going to heal Peter's mother-in-law. That's Jewish people. In verse 26, he will calm the sea for his disciples. Those, again, are Jewish people. Jesus is going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and he's going in earnest, but not before. Note this, offering to journey all the way to a Roman centurion's home. Look at our text in Matthew 5 again, Matthew 8, verse 6. Saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Now note this carefully. Our Lord was willing to come to the centurion's house. This is how impressed he was. But notice it is not what others thought that led to this reaction. It was not merely, folks, his public reputation. It wasn't, that wasn't his worthiness. It wasn't that what his friends were pointing to. No, no, no. It was something else, something greater, something deeper. Which brings us to the second thing in the text and why Jesus marveled. Number one is what his neighbors thought. Number two, you'll notice, is what the centurion thought. Look at chapter, our chapter again, and verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy. Wait a minute. I am not worthy. We read a moment ago. This is what he thought. They said he's worthy. He said the very opposite. So it's no wonder, perhaps, this is why Jesus marveled. Because, folks, this is not how centurions ever think in those days. Centurions naturally think very highly of themselves. Their power, their success, their position, their class almost necessitated a heart of pride. Pride usually got them to where they were. But not in this case. Are you surprised that a man whose heart is grateful also has a spirit that is humble. He was grateful for the country there. He he built them a synagogue. He was thankful for whatever contributions the fathers made. Grateful equals humble, and humble always equals grateful. And what did the centurion think? In verse 8, notice what it says again. The centurion answered and said, Lord, what? Listen, folks, if you follow the Gospels and the ministry of Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees, they could barely stand to call him rabbi. They could barely spit out the word teacher from their mouths. 
But this officer instantly calls him Lord. There's something amazing about that. You know, there's one only, only one other time in the Bible it says that Jesus marveled. And that's in Mark 6. And it says about the Jewish elders, it says that Jesus marveled at their unbelief. That staggered him. That they would not have faith in who he was. What did the centurion think? He thought that he wasn't worthy. He thought that Jesus is Lord. He thought that Christ was so powerful. That Jesus was so omnipotent that all he had to do was speak the word and his servant would be healed far and away. You realize that Mary and Martha didn't even have that understanding. They said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. Pastor, this man's discernment. This man's compassion for a slave. This man's humility and his spiritual understanding. No wonder, where did all of that come from? How did he get this gratitude and humility and generosity deep down in his spirit? Well, that brings us to the third thing, and really the the only thing, the main thing, that I want us to walk away with today. We notice, number one, what his neighbors thought. It's pretty much what anybody would think. We notice, number two, what the centurion thought. It's what almost all centurions would think. But number three, I want us to see what Jesus thought. Verse eight again, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. But speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. Having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Notice the word also, I'm a man under authority. He's kind of combining himself with Christ. So that verse 10 says this, When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed. Now here it is. This is what impressed Jesus. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. In other words, follow us carefully. Under authority, he said, I'm a man who can simply speak a command. And certain things happen. I have power. I've been granted power by someone greater than I to command soldiers unto me, and they obey what I say, and it happens. But you've been granted a greater power, and you can therefore simply speak a word from here and heal my servant. Now, that's some amazing spiritual discernment. And what did Jesus think about it? What did Jesus think about all of the things? Because now he speaks, and what does he say? I've not found so great faith. Pastor Blaylock, you mean to tell me that all of this man's, with all of his works, his good works, with all of his discernment, his kindness, his patriotism, his reputation, his meekness, his compassion, that along with the fact that he built them a synagogue and recognized Jesus' position of power as Lord, for all these things, what our Lord thought about was his faith. That the Lord Jesus marveled at his faith. And the answer, folks, is yes. Of course it's faith. It's always faith. Every single command in the Old Testament can be boiled down to one. The just shall live by faith. 
Without faith, it is impossible to believe God. Hebrews 11 says, by faith Abel did this, by faith Enoch did this, by faith Noah did this, by faith Abraham did all the things that he did. It is as if God has one great overriding command, and it's just two words, believe me, trust me. And of course, what you believe is his word. And after a year of public ministry, this centurion came to believe what Jesus was saying to all of those who sat in darkness as Isaiah prophesied. And even if his faith was the size of a mustard seed, it's marvelous. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have faith? You can build someone a synagogue or a church down the street or whatever. That's not going to impress God. Do you have faith? You can be a four-star general. That's not going to impress the Lord at all. Do you believe what God says? Do you believe what God says about salvation? That there's only one way to heaven. That Jesus is the only way. Oh, but pastor, you know, okay. That's not faith. Do you believe what God says about sin, about marriage, about rearing children? You know, God has a lot to say about how to raise children. Do you believe it? Faith. About his church, about finances, about these end times. Do you believe what he says about heaven and about hell? Beloved, God has a lot to say about a lot of things in this book. The question is, do we believe him? Because it is faith. It is simple faith that pleases God, that amazes God when he sees it in one of his own. It is faith that changes things, that changes lives. You know, the other day, JCS had a program over at Generation Church on Center Street. And some of our young people were there. And I went over, I sneaked in the back, and on Center Street, in our old building, as you know, as and I sat there, I looked around, I was very grateful for what they've done in renovating that place. And I kind of walked around a little bit, and it reminded me of several years ago when I took Jeffrey over there. Jeffrey and Andy went with me. And I said, let's go look at the old building because it was at that time empty and, and foreclosure. There was eviction. Neglect was everywhere. The church we had sold it to the first time. Um, just left, and it was, it was sad to look at. And we looked around, and <clears throat> we said, Pastor, how did you get in? It was locked, it was sealed. Let's just say, we were there for almost 25 years, and I had faith that I knew how to get in. <laughs> faith without a coat hanger is dead. <laughs> well, we were walking around, and, and I remember what struck me the most in both the old 1924 building, our original building that seated about 100 people, and then the one we built later and seated about 250 people. And the first time, I, we went twice. I went by myself, and then I took the boys later. I went into every room, every building, except in my original office over there, because I lacked the faith to get in, if you know what I mean. Almost 25 years is a lot of memories in a building. More for some of you who are here or even there longer. And when Andy and Jeffrey were there with me, one of them asked me, he said, are you getting nostalgic seeing all of this? And I said, no. Not for the buildings. These buildings are wood and stone. 
When I was there the other day with the JCS program, I looked for a little, there's a platform there, and they had built on top of it. And every year, January, men's prayer meeting, the first prayer meeting of the, of the new year, I would kneel in the same spot. Brother Desmond was always there to my left, and I would take my pen, and every year, for about 14 years, I would write a Bible verse that would be the theme verse for that year on the little two-by-four in the back, and I looked for it, and I couldn't find it. But no, the old gray, the old floor that was there, that graded wooden floor, the original stucco ceiling, the kitchen that Brother Sam and Brother Neil remodeled, that's just stuff. That's tangible, physical stuff. I wasn't nostalgic for that at all. However, in one spot of that building that I went to, I remember praying with a little five-year-old boy who prayed and asked Jesus to save him. And today, that boy, Jimmy Densmore, is a missionary in Guatemala with his wife and family. On another spot, there was a little guy, young guy, I should say, not so little, named Mike Chung, and he he was doubting his salvation, and he put his faith in Christ really in the Word of God, and today he's a deacon, one of the finest men I know, and a beautiful family, and teaches one of our classes. I walked over to the baptistry. At that time, it was filled with chairs and a bunch of junk, and I was reminded that there, one of our bus kids who now works on staff here baptized his father that he prayed for for many years. And I saw another spot. And I remember a firefighter walked the aisle on my right, came down the aisle, came down here, knelt with his wife and accepted Christ. And he became a missionary, founder of the Beacon Baptist Church in Wales. I looked to my right and I saw the pew, third one back, where I'll never forget Jeffrey Andrews, who had been coming to church week after week, finally raised his hand for salvation. His friend, Darren Wolf, and her loved ones are here. Now in full-time ministry, I saw the place where he learned of Christ and placed his faith. I saw where a little Ricky Blaylock kicked a volleyball in the old auditorium and broke the stained glass that had been there in 1924. <laughs> that window survived 15 hurricanes over 70 years, but Ricky Blaylock <laughs> broke it in one morning. I saw the place where a young guy named Dom Cuzo told of his surrender to preach with tears in his eyes, and today he pastors a strong church in New Jersey. I saw another place, I walked around, and I just, in my mind, saw people. A teenage boy named Gary Chung shook my hand and said, Pastor, on a Sunday night, I'm dedicating my life to following Christ, and the fruit of that dedication has remained. And we could go on and on and on. But you see the point, what matters always, and really all that matters, is faith. When people put their faith in the Bible, put their faith in Christ, when people trust and obey, there's fruit that remains. Buildings come and go. Not just faith in their self, not faith in faith. No, when people put what pleases God, what amazed the Lord Jesus, what moves the mountains, when people have faith in Him. Jesus marveled in the Bibles as He turned and He said to the people, this is faith. Not in all of Israel, 
In Luke's gospel, it uses the word law. Not in all of Israel have I seen this level of trust in God. Folks, I wonder this morning, if we would just refresh, decide again above all else to simply believe God. Believe what he, oh, but pastor, this, are you going to believe his word or not? I was talking to Chris Griscavis the other night. We talked for a good long while. And just talking about his journey now. Stefan's been called to glory. And you know, we were talking about faith, and, and he said, I just hope that God continues to use me. And I said, Chris, listen, God is using you. Because you know what you have shown? You've shown that all of the times I preached on heaven and you said, Amen, it wasn't hollow, it wasn't empty. Dr. John R. Rice used to say, we sing about heaven, we clap our hands about heaven, we get excited about heaven, we talk about the rapture, and then when someone goes to heaven, we act like we never really believed it. This man believed it. People like the centurion, people of compassion, humility, generosity, patriotism. You know, these kind of people don't just happen. They come about because Instead of leaning on their own understanding, they trust in the Lord. You know, it's very interesting in telling what it is that we as human beings marvel at. Centurion's rank impresses us. An athletic record, a singer's range. Wow, she got high on that note. A businessman's wealth. An actor's talent, a musician's skill, an artist's amazing ability, a genius's memory. Oh, he's so amazing. What an American idol. And God's not impressed by any of it. Christ never marveled at any of that. Why would he? In fact, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't even marvel at his own miracles. He never did a miracle and said, wow, look what I just did. They did. What did Jesus marvel at? Somebody's belief. Somebody's faith in him. Seems to me that on this Lord's Day morning, every single one of us here needs to trust God more. To believe him by believing everything he has said in his word. We never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows or the joy he bestows are for them who trust and obey. That's faith. That's for them who trust and obey. Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for a moment. I wonder on this Lord's Day morning who might say, Pastor Blalock, I'm a Christian by the grace of God. There was a day when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus and it changed my life. Isn't that amazing? Faith in the true God and the true word changes lives. Pastor, I'm saved today, but as a Christian, I needed this reminder. Look, you want to have an amazing testimony, an amazing life? Amazing to those who are in glory, to those who are in heaven, not amazing to your neighbor? to be starstruck by men, but amazing. Believe God, trust God, have faith.
in his word. Pastor, I'm saved, but I needed this message as a Christian. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and I lift mine and God bless you and amen. Faith moves mountains. Faith changes things. Faith gives fruit that remains eternal fruit. Pastor Blalock, I'm here today and I'm not sure I'm saved. I couldn't raise my hand, not honestly. You haven't yet put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Something's holding you back. Well, I need this proof. I need that proof. I need this. You step out in faith. You trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved, but would you pray for me that I could be sure? I won't embarrass you. I'd just love to pray for you. That's me. Who would say that with heads bowed? Would you raise your hand if you're not sure about your own salvation today? But you say, pray that I could be sure. Ma'am, I see your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Hold it up till we see it. All right. We're going to pray in a moment and have a time of invitation. This is the altar. It's for you to use if God is speaking to your heart. Brother Andy will be at the front if you want to speak with someone. Whatever God is speaking to you about. Obey his voice. You know what? We said at the very, very beginning of this message that there's really only one thing that I hope we leave here with. And it is that. It is the just shall live by faith. God is amazed, marveled. Jesus marveled in his, in his flesh. As the God-man, it says he marveled. He'd never seen in all of Israel the faith of a Roman Gentile centurion. What a message for us to trust God above all else. Father, bless now the invitation. We commit it to your hands and we thank you for this powerful reminder in your word of what it is, what it truly is that pleases you. So much so that you said without it, there's no pleasing you. It's impossible to please you without faith. Help us to trust you through your word for as you've proven yourself over and over and over again in this inspired book. Praise you, Lord, for the fruit that remains because of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.